Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Familia, it's your girl Odalis Jasmine, and y'all are listening to the one and only Hello Latino podcast. Today I'm talking to Antonio Rodriguez, someone I met throughout my cafecito and cheese sessions at Intuit. Shout out to the Intuit Latinos Network. I am especially excited for this episode because one of the things that I get from the community often is that folks have a hard time calling themselves Latino or being part of the community because they don't speak the language. Today I'm talking to Tony, who's a second generation Mexican-American on his dad's side and fourth generation Texan on his mom's side. It's one of those stories of the border crossed Mexico, not the other way around. So his mom is from a border town in Texas and his dad was first generation himself. Antonio had no doubt that he was both a Texan and a Mexican-American, but back in his day, it wasn't always cool to be Latino. In this episode, he talks about his journey in owning his Latinidad despite bearing it down for a long time because of not speaking the language. So let's get into this episode de una. So excited. This is, I feel like this has been like a long time coming. I remember the first call we had to now this moment and so many things that I want to ask you, Tony, but just (laughs) one, very excited that you are here and that you are sharing your story on the platform. Yeah, I know. Thanks for having me. I really do appreciate it. I I have been looking forward to this for a long time as well. It's a long time coming. So I'm glad you have a platform like this. Because uh, you're really making a difference in the community. Community. A lot of people talk about it, but there's not really a lot of action. And from the minute I met you, it's been like, I've been so inspired. So thanks for having me. Thank you, Tony. I want to start with the first question. And I start every, every podcast, every conversation this way. Um, and I'm sure you already know by now. But first question is, how do you identify and why? So I identify myself as a Latino. I know the government gives us a a label called Hispanic, but I've never been a fan of that. I feel like that's just something they came up with to put us in a box. And I've never been someone that likes to live in a box. So Latino, Latina to me means encompasses all of our culture, whether you're Mexican, Honduran, Chilean, Brazilian. To me, it doesn't matter. We're all Latinos and we all came from the motherland as far as I'm concerned. Right. You know what I love about what you just said is someone once told me on this platform that we are like first generation, second generation. We're almost like this pan Latino, like where we like know and appreciate all these different parts of Latinidad. So whether it's like dancing bachata, that Dominicans dance or listening to mariachi, you know, even if you're Mexican or not, like there is this beautiful marriage of like all these different culturas hispanas or culturas latinas. 
that kind of mix and you, you experience all of it and you love and appreciate all of it. So I think there's, yeah. there's a pan Latinidad experience too. I totally agree. It's, it's, it's amazing when you think about it because we speak the same language or similar, right? The dialects might be a little different, but our food is completely different. So it's kind of like our culture adapts and that's what I love about it so much. We had to adapt. I mean, we weren't like part of the English church where we were rich or, or the hot, the, the hierarchy, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So we had to survive. And so whatever we did, we figured it out. Right. So whatever was available, that's what we used. And yeah. that's why I love talking to different people from different Latino countries that I haven't had a chance to go to. Pretty amazing. No, it's, and it's cool because I think a lot of our foods are different and we prepare it differently, but like the same sazon and base ingredients are in all of it. You know what I mean? Like the cilantro, the tomate, and the cebolla. Like those are, yeah. I feel like those are, everyone uses those in, in all Latino America. And even platano is like so common with craving cultures and South American and Central American cultures. Like there's so, there's so many varieties of the same food, but I love that it shows where we come from. You know what I mean? Yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I wanna, the amount of, the amount of time it takes to make a lot of those dishes people don't understand it's not like a, a five minute deal let's go make dinner right it's you wake up early tony, in the morning yes tony i did not realize because i used to always say my mom stays in the kitchen Esta no sale de la cocina. she does not leave the kitchen i used to say that all the time and i never understood why and now as an adult i remember when i first started living on my own and trying to go to school and work and cook for myself all three meals i'm like how in the world did my mom have five jobs, seven kids and stay in the kitchen all day? Like, how does she do it? Like, just the thought of someone staying in the kitchen and cooking and like it, the process is long. Even to make beans, I'm like, that's a two, three, four hour process. Yes. Like, yes. And there was always beans in the house. I thought it was so easy to make. And Lord, I learned. I learned early. <laughs> But Tony, I want to ask you, because one of the things that just stands out to me from the first conversation that we had was, I think you said something along the lines of, back in my day, it wasn't cool to be Latino. And he's, you're like, there's a, there's like a difference in this generation where we're making more noise and we're saying like, no, we're proud to be Latino. And I think a lot of that comes from representation in media, too, and representation just in the world of, like, more appreciation of the culture. I give a lot of credit to Bad Bunny for just being able to cross over and showing what Latinidad is. But I, yeah, there, there's a lot of, it's a different generation. So I want to talk about the generational differences that you were alluding to when we first had that conversation. Yeah, I mean, so I might be the first, second generation Latino you've had on here. I'm, I'm not sure, but. I can tell you it's a little different than being first generation because when my parents, my dad, my dad was first generation. My mom lived on a border town. You might as well call her zero generation. They lived on a border town and they claimed the border town. And they always used to tell me that Mexico crossed them and now Texas owns it. And they went back and forth. So they claim they're from Del Rio, Texas, right? That's what they own. They don't really say Texas. They don't say Mexico. They just say Del Rio. And oh, so wow. for them growing up, it was way worse than it was for me. They did everything they could for to prevent us from having to go through the things they went through. Now, when they grew up, I'm, I'm a little older. I'm 51 now. And so they grew up in the 50s, you know, 40s, 50s. And so back then it was black and white mainly, right? And so they were kind of stuck in the middle. So 
Um, when my dad was a young boy, uh, my grandfather, I don't know if I told you this, is from uh, Nuevo Leon, Mexico. It's a little, I don't even call it a town. I, it's like a village. It's called Biadiao. Uh, and um, when he came over, you know, there wasn't anything. He actually, I'll show you this real quick. This is my, one of my favorite family possessions. Wow. That's his wow. green card. And guess where he went? He went straight to da the Dallas consulate, Mexican consulate, to get his green card so he could work here in the United States. This is like, I want to say 1929 is what it says. Wow. So he's really the, he's really the, the person that drives who I am today because I have no excuse. Just like your mom and dad. He came over to a place that he had never seen before in his life to make a better life for himself. And he happens to be my grandmother here. But um, my whole point is, I'm sorry, I kind of messed No, keep going. Up. We love the stories. <laughs> <laughs> so when they grew up, you know, they, they weren't allowed to speak Spanish. If they did, they had rulers on them. Wow. Like they were embarrassed to bring food to, to school because there were tortillas and beans and rice and they didn't have a lot of meat. So people would make fun of them. They couldn't be on the black bus. They had to ride on the white bus, but they had to use the black restroom. So they were like in the middle of this thing going on and had no idea how to handle it. All they knew is the best way for them to handle it is to assimilate. So my dad's name Manuel became Manny. My mom's name Berta is Berta. And so that's your mom's name. Bert, yeah. That's my mom's name, Berta, oh, Berta Alicia. Oh, okay. Well, she her, she doesn't have a middle name, if you can believe it. It's Berta Martinez is her maiden name, but she's Aww. a Rodriguez now. Wow. Um, but even for her, you know, she lived in Del Rio, which was, it was okay to be Latino, but then she moved to Sacramento and my grandfather worked on the farms. He was like a manager of a farm or something. And they lived on the farm and worked the crops like most latinos did back then right and then um but they just it just was different for them and so as they have children what they said was hey we're gonna make sure that you speak perfect that's why i don't have an accent i don't have a texas accent i don't have a latino accent because we sat at the table when i was a kid to pronounce words right so i wouldn't be different wow and and the one thing they didn't realize, and, and I, you know, I talked, my dad passed away a few years ago, but I talked to my mom about this, is I don't think they realize that I can't change the color of my skin. So no matter how I talk, how I look, how I dress, that's the one thing I cannot change. And they didn't get that, right? And so um, it, was, it was a struggle, you know. My name's Antonio, but I go by Tony. I had friends named Jose that go by Joe. Juan went by John, not because they wanted to, because it was hard to say, like your name, I want to, your name is, o I know we go jazz, we call you Jasmine, but it's Odalis. Odalis, yeah. Odalis, okay, yeah, Odalis, yeah. right? You you go by Jasmine, so I don't know if that's why you go by Jasmine, but. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, my God. Tony, we can have a whole conversation about names and how our names just really defined our experience, right? Because what happened with Odalis was my my family always called me both. My mom, Odalis, like when I was in trouble, she would say Odalis, Odalis, like all the time. And then my brothers and sisters would call me Jazz, Jassy, Gorda, Flaca, like they called me all the names under the sun, right? And so I felt like I never felt closely tied to any name. Like it was always just like I had all these nicknames. And then I go to school and, and 
they're saying my name completely wrong and saying Odalis, Odalis. And the the story goes that I kept ignoring my teacher because she was saying Odalis, Odalis. And I was like, I don't know who that is. So, you know, and my mom was like, why aren't you listening to your teacher? And I'm like, she's not calling my name. And from that moment on, that was probably first grade kindergarten, like the names because my teachers couldn't pronounce it was, oh, that was Jasmine. And that's how the name stuck throughout schools and all my years. And I reclaimed my name Odalis when I started this podcast because it was like I I changed my name because people couldn't pronounce it. And so I, I adjusted and assimilated to what they were comfortable with versus my name. Like that's my name that my parents gave me. And it's a beautiful name that my siblings came up with. So am I dishonoring my roots and and my Latinidad and myself if I just like erase my whole name? You know what I mean? Yeah. And even no, now. Even now, I love giving people options. Like, you can call me Odalis or Jasmine, whatever you're comfortable with. But it's almost like owning, like, this is all. Like, even you, I see you. Antonio, Tony, Rodriguez. Like, just owning all of it. Like, all of it are pieces of you. But you don't have to erase one or the other. Yeah, you're 100% right. I mean, that was part of me trying to assimilate when I was younger because there was no Antonios around me. In fact, I sent you a picture of my uh, kindergarten class. Yeah. You get a chance. Take a look. Look and see how many Latinos are in that picture. I saw it. I have it up right here, too. Yeah. It's... Uh, you only see one. There's more chinos and um, huevos, and that's it. Like, oh, I'm wow. the only Latino. And that's 1976, okay? So we've come a long way is the way, the way I look at it. Can you talk to me about, you're talking about being from Del Rio or, or how you kind of grew up in these, your parents and your family kind of grew up in these places where they were almost stuck in the middle and there wasn't space for them, for their existence, for their Latinidad, for them in general. How did that, and you kind of alluded to it right now, but how did that manifest in you while you were growing up? Did you, obviously, like you said, you can't change your, your color of your skin. You know, you're Antonio, but how did you, maneuver these spaces as someone who wasn't taught to own their latinidad because it wasn't quote unquote cool yeah you, you know it's 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 amazing talking about this because when you first came and spoke at am i allowed to say my company's name into yes it? yes you can it's too late now. shout out <laughs> <laughs> it's tax time guys no seriously <laughs> um when you came i had as a kid you know you go through life and then you know i always say you have like three lives right and i'm th i'm thinking when i retire that's going to be the third one but you have one prior to having a family right and then you have a family and then you change who you are because you can't hang out till 3 a.m with your buddies anymore right so <laughs> you change a little bit of who you are right and so until you came and talked i forgot that i'd even suppressed so much because i didn't like school i didn't like school i didn't like being different i didn't like people pointing it out I didn't like the fact that my name was different. I was embarrassed. I was like, you know, why am I having to go through this? And the only time I felt like a person was when my family would have quinceañeras or they would have a, a birthday for my cousins. And then I would see everyone that looked like me. And it was like, I could be myself again. Yeah. And then on Monday, it was like, here we go again. Right. And so I probably shouldn't tell you how I dealt with it. I dealt with it. A way that my dad tried to explain to me that we have to do it a different way, Milo, because I always was hot-headed, so I didn't handle it 
the best way. That's why I hated school because I knew that as soon as school started, I was going to get involved with uh, maybe an altercation. And when I got home, it was going to be worse because my dad would take it even out, take it out worse on me because he would say, Mimo, they're going to say that's how they are. And your job is to let them know we're no different than they are. And so wow. I was willing to take two beatings potentially, right? Just to say, hey, I'm not that guy. I don't know. I, I don't know how to handle it any other way. So I'm willing to take what you're going to do to me and what I'm going to do to that guy. He's going to do to me because that's how much it meant to me to explain to them that I'm not just like every other Tony or Antonio or Latino. I don't like to put a label on it. That's who I was, right? I didn't want to be in a box and I still don't. So I kind of suppressed a lot of that, to be honest with you, until you came and talked and we had another guy, Eduardo Garcia, come talk. I mean, listen to his story in Montana. I can't imagine what he went through. I was in Texas in the seventies and I'm sure it was bad, but I'm yeah. sure you might've been the only Latino on the whole planet over there. You know what <laughs> Montana, I, mean? so, I can't, I yeah. can't imagine. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So that's how I, I don't even, so let me take a step. I'm not justifying how I reacted. I'm just explaining to you. That's just my, that's yeah. how mentally I handled it. And so I, I did it all the way through high school. I mean, it was just one of those things where everyone knew, okay, it's first day of school. Here we right. go. Um, right. But it was the only way I could handle it where I wasn't picked on all the time because if I didn't do anything, it would have been a constant, Hey, they use the B word or, Hey, you're a spick or, Hey, you know, go eat your beans or whatever. Right. And so, uh, I just, I don't know. I, I handled it different. My brothers and sisters, they handled it way better than I did. I just, I, I guess being a, I blame it on being a middle child, you know, you compete with both of them. And so I was just going to say, just, where are you in the queue? Because that yeah, could make a difference. <laughs> I'm, I'm in the middle, but I tell you, the only thing that saved me was sports, to be honest with you. If I didn't have football, I probably wouldn't have graduated high school. I probably wouldn't have finished because I was always in trouble and you know they couldn't understand why and I just I didn't know how to express myself because I'm not one that needs people to take care of them if that makes sense I've always it's that machismo Latino guy you know I don't need your help with me let me break my back even though you could help me in five minutes I'm not willing to to take your help so oh that's a real thing it's one of those things I first want to just acknowledge like that's your experience and I'm so sorry that you had to go through that in in that time period. I don't know what that feels like or looks like, but it just, you know, I I feel for that little Tony that had to kind of navigate these spaces, trying to figure out himself, his identity and where he fit in all of it. The second thing that kind of came up for me as you were talking, I was I was thinking of there's always so many things about Oh, when they when when kids are not behaving or when they're hotheads, right? There's this misconception that there's something's wrong with them or that XYZ. And I feel like for me, it's always a sign of someone, a kid that needs to be seen, that wants to be seen. And I don't know if that's something that you can relate to, but I think like in those moments of us being hotheads or us like doing something, it's almost like we just want to be seen. And it's hard when you navigate so many spaces where you're not seen. But that's one thing that came up for me as I think about the kids in my life. And I'm like, oh, he's acting up. He just wants, he wants us to see him and acknowledge him. And I'm like, okay, like, what's up, you know? And like, 
I think that that's what came up for me. But on the second, on like the other side, I can't imagine, Tony, how much pressure it is to go home and say, okay, I'm going to get my second beating. And your dad saying, if you do X, Y, Z, they're going to think we all do X, Y, Z. And that's how they like the pressure of like, I can't imagine the pressure you already feel just being a Latino growing up the way you were. And then on top of that, having your dad tell you like you are responsible for this whole cultura. So do it right. <laughs> yeah, it, it was it was a struggle when I was younger. But now, you know, it's funny when when you lose someone, you realize how much first off, you, you know, a parent is a parent. You miss them. You know, they mean a lot to you. Oh, yeah. But you don't realize the knowledge, the the skills, the demeanor hell i even uh wear like facial hair like he did you know i mean it's like so much but when you're younger you don't you don't get it you don't understand and it wasn't till i got older and got a little bit more mature and started kind of taking a look i understood why he was doing that and he was right whether i whether i wanted to accept it or not that's the last thing we needed was other people to say hey they're all like that or you know it, it was it was, I don't want to call it a badge of honor. It was just how we had to do things then until we get to where we are today. Yeah. And so I'm so jealous of first generation kids like you, kids that are grew up Latino and were allowed to speak Spanish and allowed to speak Spanish in school and allowed to, and let's be clear, we were allowed to speak Spanish in school, but we didn't, we literally, we had Latinos, but we were all like in different areas. Right? Right, we didn't want right. to. We didn't want to conjugate. If that makes sense, right? Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. we're like, and okay, so, no, uh, I don't see you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not like, and then you know, even my cousins, you know, I, would, I feel so bad because they felt the same way. They were, we'd smile and we'd wave. You know, it wouldn't even like a hug like we do on the weekends. You know. Wow. So it was just, and you know what's ironic is my dad's family was all the same. I have probably 15 first, uh, I'm sorry, second generation Latino cousins from him and his sisters and his brothers. None of them. I speak the most Spanish of all of them. Oh, wow. So it was the same thing. The families all got together and they did the same thing. Wow. A different um, time. I mean, a whole different time. Wow. Yeah. And so, I mean, for us to, to, you know, my mom, just like you said, my mom was always making tortillas every day. We had tortillas all the time. Never worried about it. But she was up early in the morning, just like you're talking about your mom. I mean, we, we, it just was one of those things. And, and the amazing thing for them is, and I'm, and I love hearing your story from your parents, how you guys were doing well in Honduras, correct? Yeah. In Honduras. Yeah. Right. And then you came here and you guys struggled like, dirt poor, like trying to find where your next meal is. Well, guess what? My parents were just like that. They were exactly like that. Like when they grew up, they had one pair of shoes all year. Like my grandmother, unfortunately was a single mother in the fifties. Cause my grandfather passed away working on the railroads roads here in Texas. So she was left with four kids on her own. Wow. Right? Oh, she, she was a single mom when it wasn't okay to be a single mom because people thought there was something wrong with you and not the guy, right? Right. And so she somehow, I don't know how, 
figured a way for them to make it. They asked her to give up the kids for adoption and she refused. And so when I hear your stories and I hear her, I tell my kids this all the time. They get tired of hearing it. We have no excuse. Everyone has done everything for us. They've laid out the plan. We live in a nice house now, not because of me. Let's be clear. Because of your grandmother, because of your grandfather, because of your great-grandfather, your great-grandmother, because those that came before us. Right. And your parents are the same as my parents. They they had nothing when they came here. And so it's just one of those things where as Latinos, I feel like when people come from a different country to make a better life for themselves, they're not just doing it for themselves. They're doing it for future generations. Oh, my God. Yeah. And that impact can change literally the world. And so that's why I feel like me personally, I have no excuse but to succeed. My kids have that obligation to succeed because of all the sacrifices of those before them. But I think I got off track a little bit, but... uh, No, I love it. No, I I think it's it's such a powerful thing as you're talking about this this time in your life where you were almost not allowed to be Latino or felt like you couldn't be Latino outside of your your parents' home, right? Or outside of the quinceañeras. I'm curious, Tony, like when was the moment for you where you started to own your Latinidad? Like, what was the moment where you were like, I am Latino? Like, what? when was that moment for you? You know, it's it's funny because I told you there's two different times in my life. Yeah. And so when I started having kids, I started realizing things had changed. Well, things had started changing when I was around 19 or 20. There started, more Latinos started coming in. And so uh, it, it was different then. Because my dad actually would get mad when people would first speak to him in Spanish because he felt like he did everything he could. Now, he was a military guy, too. So he went to Vietnam twice and was in three branches, Army, Air Force and Marines. So he was an American. Shout out to to your dad. (laughs) Straight up American. Right. And so I thought he would embrace it. But instead, he would get upset. And, and he, his thought was this, if you're coming to a country and this is for him too, when he went to Germany, he tried to learn how to speak Germany because his mind was wherever you go, you learn that language. Yeah. And so he would get upset when Latinos would come here and expect Americans to speak Spanish when we're in the United States. Okay. And there was times where I had to calm him down. Even when he was in his more mature age, seventies, I'd be like, pops. He's struggling, man. Just speak Spanish to him. Right. Oh, by the way, here's a quick, here's a quick, this is how worried I was about being Latino when I was young. My dad's name is Tata. Okay. It's on his marker. Like that's his name. But when I grew up, I changed his name to Pappy because it was a wedding name. So I called him Pappy. For many, my mom, everyone tried to figure out where I got it from. I I stole it from Popeye, you know, that cartoon Popeye? Yeah, yeah. He called his dad Pappy, and that's where (laughs) I got it from. Oh, wow. And so I shortened it as I got older to Paps, P-A-P-S. And so that's what I called him until he passed away. In fact, I still have voicemails from him where I'm calling him Paps. You can hear me calling Paps. And so that was just a way of me even assimilating even more if that right. tells you anything. Yeah, it right. was crazy. So th- th- I kind of went off track, but to answer your question, I honestly didn't start 
wanting to embrace it till I was 25, 26. And oh, by the way, I didn't tell you when I was a kid, I got to go to Mexico and meet my grandfather's family. Oh, wow. So How was that experience? I, went to, I tell you, every American should go to two places. It's either Mexico or I guess you say any third world country or India, because you think people are poor here. Yeah, it, it blew my mind. My family didn't have electricity. They had running water. They had a well. They had a burro that helped them pull stuff. They wow. literally had the shack that was made of a... So have you ever seen a chicken coop? You don't have the metal roof? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Well, they had a metal roof. Their concrete was poured, and you could tell that whoever poured it didn't really know what they were doing. One bedroom, one kitchen, and, you know, most of the people lived in there. And, you know, not many, not meat. There wasn't a whole lot of meat. It was beans and rice, aguacates. Yeah. And my tia, my great tia would make uh, tortillas every morning, right? Just like my mom. It was weird. It was like going back to uh, the 50s is what it reminded me of, to be honest. No TV. I mean, literally, it was camping, right? And, um, but I tell you what, they were happy. You would never know that they were that poor. They... Yeah. I had some of the best times of my life there. I mean, seriously, it was amazing. And, you know, it's funny. I kind of, now that you, you know, you asked about that, I wonder, because when I was young, we weren't rich. Like, you know, my dad was, he had got, he was the first person in his family to get a college degree. And so we did okay. We weren't rich, but the more I look at it is they made it seem like we were a billion. So who the how they oh, did yeah. it. Oh, I yeah. don't know how they did it, but they did. And then looking back, I'm like, damn, he lost his job. My mom was the only one working. And mentally, I'm thinking, how did they do that? Like, he went from being a, a director at Braniff Airlines to losing his job in the 80s. And he was 40 and no one wanted to hire him. So he would work like he was a video game salesman at one point. So back in the day, you actually had to go to an arcade to play video. If you were, I don't know if you remember that. I but, do remember that. Yeah. Okay. And oh, so, wow. uh, yeah, it was amazing. But it's little things like that. It was fun going there. But again, they never, ever, it, it didn't seem like that. But the reason I mentioned Americans going there, because I feel like sometimes we feel like things are owed to us. And when you go to a place like that, you realize that, damn, it could be a lot worse. You know what oh, I mean? Oh, my God. And and to to add to that, I mean... As you're talking about your experience in Mexico, I went to Guatemala a few years ago and it was one of the best experiences I've had because I was also staying in a village that was exactly what you're talking about. Chicken coop, tin roofs and shacks and some had concrete, some didn't have concrete. Their floors was the dirt and seeing that and and just being around that community I was so, I was moved for so many reasons, but the two things that really just made me proud to be there was this sense of community, like such a strong community. And like you said, they didn't have much. They didn't have all this money. They didn't even have a TV in their home. But what they did have was this huge community of people who always came together to eat, to share, to dance, to play music. And it was the most beautiful thing I've ever experienced. And I remember the second thing. I remember this story. I was talking to one of the viejitas that was living there. 
And she was telling me that the, the houses that had concrete on them was because their kids came to the U.S. and they were sending money back. And she said, that's how they can afford that. And that was seen as a sign of privilege to have concrete in your home. And the way that these families are able to do anything is when one of their kids goes to the U.S. and sends money back. And I asked the, the viejita, I'm like, do you know what the, what the son or daughter did in the, in the U.S.? And she was like, she's like, I think they work at some restaurant or something. And in my back of my mind, I'm like, you know, it's funny because here poverty in the U.S. is so much better than poverty in these third world countries. And going and working at a McDonald's or working at an internet, wherever you work, that money is able to provide so much back in their countries. Oh, yeah. So I think that's what's so beautiful is understanding this one, like the dissonance in, 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 in cost of living and dissonance in just like economies, but also the hustle in our community because it's, and you know, I used to think first generation, we're, we're trying to get money for our families and, you know, our future generations. And I'm like, oh, so did our parents. So did the immigrants who came here. Because they were in a place of privilege where they can send money back. It's just it's just crazy to, for me to think about this, just our community and how beautiful, how resilient, and how hardworking we, we are. But it's because of something. We're doing it for something deeper than just money to fill our pockets. We're doing it for family, for community. Yeah, without a doubt. And, you know, the last thing I'll say about, you know, going to Mexico and, and even India and some examples was... They didn't have much, but when you were there, they gave you everything they had. Like, I know they were hurting when we left. You get what I mean? But they were, that's, that says, I mean, you talk about selfless, knowing that you might have a meal tomorrow because you're feeding these people or, you know, there's your, there's your meat, like steak, chicken for the, the next month because they came here and that's all we ate, right? Yeah. But they were willing to give you anything, their, their shirt off their back if they if they had to, you know what I mean? That was what was amazing to me. I I love this conversation around just our, our beautiful community and what what we came from and who we are as just humans. And I think that's the that's the thing about Latinidad is what we used to be told Latinidad meant was coming from poverty, poor, savage, um, criminales, like whatever they want to say about Latinos. But I think this is what Latinidad is, is community. It's vibrancy it's it's community that wants to give like such givers i used to i used to tell my mom my dad like just give too much like keep some for yourself but now i realize that is just who they are that's who we are innately it's in our dna and that's what latinidad is it's this intrinsic part of us that the essence of latinidad right the givers the ones who are just so good at storytelling like there's so much more about who we are than what is portrayed in media and what has been the narrative for so long but i want to ask you tony because i could talk to you forever about just latinidad and identity but i want to jump back to those moments where you started to really own who you were and own your latinidad and you said it came in two different moments so oh yeah so so when i started seeing things change you know in my city Irving, Texas, shout out. But <laughs> I, I wanted to embrace it more. But the thing that I noticed was the people that were from Mexico and from El Salvador, we have a lot of El Salvadorians here as well, is 
they weren't having me not speaking Spanish. It wasn't okay. They were like, they couldn't figure, it was like confusing for them how someone like me could be here and not speak Spanish. And it was confusing for me how they could come here and not speak some English. So it was this, it was this constant battle with my own gente. I was so excited when it was changing, but now I'm on the other side of this. You get what I mean? So now yeah. I, I look like a I look like a Latino, but when I start talking, they're like, "This guy, what? you know, whoa. Wow. it's almost like they pulled my Latino card, my Latino card." So wow. I struggled in my twenties as well, and I, I would part of me would get angry, and then I don't know. I guess it was in around thirties, you know. I remember as a kid on Sundays, I, you know, I, I like going to my dad's church because it was, he was a Catholic. It was only an hour service and this, the Cowboys played on Sunday, right? And so I oh needed to God. make sure. I was, there was oh, a plan. Mom, there was a plan. Yes. My mom was LDS, right? She was Mormon and that was a three hour service. And I knew that I'd miss at least an hour of the game. So him and I, one, one of our special moments was on Sundays after church, we would go to this Ironically, the restaurant is still there. It's called Nuevo Leon. And it was the only, like, I call it, uh, you call it taqueria. I call it like a meat shop. Like you walk in and order a pound of barbacoa or you order a pound of carnitas or a pound of tripas or, or manudo for the day, right? And it wasn't like, it wasn't like Tex-Mex where you're getting ground beef and you're getting fajitas, you know, it wasn't like that. It was straight up lengua as well, right? Oh and so God, we'd walk I in and <laughs> for, ironically, you know, I told you the story that he didn't like speaking Spanish, but in there, for some reason oh, yeah. it was okay. I don't know why, but it was okay. And so we'd get our tortillas, the cilantro, and then the pound of meat, whatever we decided to get. And then we go home and watch the game. But I don't think I started really embracing it until I started seeing my aunts and uncles and realizing that they were cheated i felt like they were literally cheated from who they maybe wanted to be maybe they are what they want to be now but you know what i mean i felt like them getting hit on the roof you know by a ruler or or people making fun of them for eating tortillas or you know having to go to this restroom and sit on this bus and you know you're not allowed here or here having to buy a house in the black community because you're not allowed to buy a house here, but you have to go to the white school. Well, why do you live over there? <laughs> you know, they would ask. Oh. And so when I'm seeing them and I'm watching them, I felt like, you know, my name's Antonio, okay? I, I'm From now on, it's Antonio, all right? I go by Tony still when I want to go by Tony, but when people ask my name, it's Antonio, okay? So it was just one of those things. Oh, this is, it was just, I guess around 30, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to, oh, by the way, my wife is half Spanish. Her mom is from Spain. Oh, and wow. so that was another reason. So when we started dating, we dated for a month before I knew she even spoke Spanish. Her first language was Spanish, by the way. But if you talk oh, to her wow. now, I don't know how she got rid of her accent because I have friends from high school that are first gen and still have a thick Latino accent. Right. But she has nothing. It blows my mind. Blonde hair. Green eyes. I dated this girl. This lady calls on the phone. Right. True story. Speaking Spanish. I'm like, man, we don't speak Spanish here. Click. She calls back. Ma'am, we don't speak Spanish here. Click. Third time she calls back. My girlfriend, my wife now, 
hears me say, we don't speak Spanish. She's like, who is that? I'm like, some lady keeps calling here, Kathy, to speak Spanish. So she grabs the phone and just rolls off Spanish like you wow. wouldn't believe. And I'm like, so that really kind of piqued my interest. Now, Spaniards will not call themselves Latino. I'll tell you that. Right, right. Now. They're, they're a proud culture. And my, yeah. my, my swagger would tell me all the time, no soy Latino. I'm like, yeah. okay, fine. But you kind of are. Don't know no, no, you are. I'll accept you as one. Right. But she didn't want to be. And, and so she taught me how to speak Spanish because I knew cuando ella habla español, ella tiene palabras malas a mí. I knew I could just hear those You're like, I know that, that one. I know that mm-hmm. one. And so she literally was my maestra. She was. She was the one that taught me everything. And then that kind of started it. And then, you know, going to parties and having to hear them mariachi or Tejano music that I hated as a kid, all of a sudden the beats started to sound a little better. And all of a sudden I discover El Rey, you know, Vicente. And then I listen, I'm actually named after Antonio Aguilar. It was my mom's favorite singer actor. And so then I started identifying there. And then I found this guy that's my favorite now, Michael Salgado. When I heard him, it was like the heavens opened up. And of course, Selena. Selena helped too. In fact, you know, I do remember this moment in that movie where Edward James almost is talking to Jennifer Lopez or Selena, right? And he looked, they're in the bus and he looks at her and says, we have to be double perfect, right? When you go to Mexico, you have to speak perfect Spanish. You have to act like you're Mexican. He didn't say it exactly like that, but if you watch that scene, yeah, it's in the movie. And then he, he says, said, you got to be more have... Mexicans and the Mexicans and more Americans and the Americans all at the same that time. That is my life. That is my life. And that movie encompasses that one quote is my life. And then, you know, you go to Mexico and if you're with family, it's great. But if I'm walking around the sea, they find out that I don't speak Spanish. Then I'm like, I might as well. I'm worse than any weto or anyone else, any other culture. Oh man, that feeling of just not belonging in either worlds, right? Just like it really is what what Abraham in the movie said. Like you have to be more more Latino than the Latinos and more American than the Americans, and you never quite fit in either worlds. And I think there is this there's a push right now, and I and I'm all about it in really making it so that we are both. We're we're a hundred percent both sides, and that's what makes us. Latino American or whatever you want to say, right? Mexican American, Honduran American, Latinos, first generation. Like that's what makes us so special is we know these two worlds and we come from these two worlds. But I can't tell you how many times I remember when I went to Guatemala, my accent was perfect. I'm talking to them, but they look at me and they're like, but you look American. And I was like, me, what do you mean? And they're like, yeah, the makeup the this to that. And like, I looked American to them. And that was a moment for me of like, I need to stop trying to fit into both worlds and realize that I am just, I'm in the middle and that's okay. Because I tried so hard, Antonio, I go into Guatemala and I'm like, oh my God, finally I get to talk to my people and like, they're not going to know I'm American. They're gonna, I'm going to have the perfect accent. Worked so hard to just be around family all the time and like never forget my accent. That was a big thing for me. And I go... And still, even then, they know I'm American. And it was the first moment where I'm like, I just got to embrace both because it, it's true. We are both. 
And there was always so much shame in just trying to be American and trying to be Latina or trying to be Mexican and trying to be, you know, but realizing it's never going to be enough because you are both. Without question. And, you know, looking back, thinking about that quote, I just, it's amazing how a movie can sum up your life and <laughs> just what, how many words did he say? Maybe 15, you know, right, maybe. Right. I mean, it's, it's awesome. And, you know, the other thing that helped a lot with me embracing my culture more and more and more is things like your show, things like Eduardo Garcia's story. If you guys haven't seen Charged, you got to go check it out. He's also an amazing chef too. So shout out to Chef Eduardo and my company kind of embracing it, right? So when we first started, and thank you for coming to the Latino network for uh, our resource group, I think is what we call them now, to come speak because I'm telling you, you and Eduardo, and we had an astronaut, I wish I remembered his name, come and speak to us as well. First generation a Latino American. I think he was from Mexico, but you know, he came over poor and he was an astronaut. So, I mean, the things that our culture does is amazing, but the resource groups that we had early on in the 2000, early 2000s, I struggled with. Yeah. Because I felt like they were trying to put me in a box again, right? You know, I felt like I don't need to be labeled, man. I just, I want to, if I want to be Antonio today, I want to be Antonio. If I want to be Tony, yeah. let me be Tony. But I, and they, as a, I was a leader at the time at Intuit and I felt, and it, no, no pressure on them, but I felt pressure on myself to feel like I need to step up and kind of join this group to understand what it was about. But I always felt like an outsider because once again, everyone spoke Spanish. I didn't. So they would speak Spanish and I would struggle a little bit. Yeah. I'd understand some words, but not all words. And I felt like, oh, here we go again. It's almost like being in school again, except different. I look like them, but I don't fit in. Right? And so uh, wow. I actually, I joined, tried to be involved in a step away probably for about eight years. And, and, you know, COVID probably helped too, because there's a lot of reflecting you do when you're on lockdown, you know? Right. And so 100%. I don't think I would have ever joined their guest speakers if it wasn't for COVID, because I, I just wanted to hear from other people you know, at that time. And I'm telling you, hearing from you and Eduardo, it just, it even stepped up the Latino-ness even more, like saying, it's okay. Just like you said, it's okay to speak English and a little bit of Spanish. Don't let anyone try to tell you it's not. A hundred percent. Embrace that. Embrace your culture. And if they, if they have a problem with it, then you, what's the problem? What, what am I going to worry about? You know? It is I what mean, it, it is. It is what it, it is. is. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a struggle, but it is what it is. So. I feel like, you know, I don't know if that really helped. It was really around, you know, seeing, um, you know, if, don't laugh, like seeing a lot more Latino movies on screen, like uh, American Me. Oh, and, my God. Uh, I mean, there's power in that representation. And that's what I'm hearing yeah. from you. It's like these little pockets of moments of representation, whether it's people moving into your city and you're like, oh, there's a lot more Latinos here. Or it's hearing from speakers like me or Eduardo, but actually listening to real stories of people navigating these identities and things that you navigated too, and representation in movies. I mean, there's so much power in having real stories, real representation, real media that shows you what Latinidad looks like. Because, I mean, I've met so many people on Antonio who don't know Sp don't know Spanish at all and 
feel like they're not Latino, like they, their Latino card is taken away from them because they don't they don't know the language. So I'm curious from you, like what advice or words of encouragement or just comforting words would you give to the Latinos who are listening who don't feel like they can claim their Latinidad because of a language barrier? Look, there's a lot of things that you can take away from me, right? <laughs> but where my family's from, you know, being Latino, Mexican, Texican is what my brother says, right? Texican, I love that. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to change the fact that my grandfather was a first-generation Mexican-American. Actually, he did get his, I didn't tell you this, he did get his citizenship 10 years after he was here in the States. So we'll call him the first generation, but, you know, he, he he's probably claimed Mexico over the States. Right. But anyway, but, you know, I can't change that. It is, it's in, like we just talked about, it's part of your DNA. Working your butt off, every Latino has done it. It's in your DNA. Now, whether you use it or not, that's up to you. Right. And so I can't, I can't pretend I'm not. So the way I look at it is I can either embrace it. And trust me, when I ran from it, some bad things, I told you growing up, some bad things happened. And so I realized that I'm not going to run anymore. I'm just going to be who I am. And if people accept it, that's great. And if they don't, then, you know, there's some, it's probably more something wrong with them than me. And I'm going to, I'm going to continue, I'm going to continue to try, you know, I'm not going to change. And I want other people that have gone through similar situations to understand that they're not alone. All of us have gone through it at some point, right? Even if there was a lot of Latinos around, like I said, and you didn't speak Spanish, trust me, you felt it. Right. And so I would say. Look, you don't even have to embrace it, but don't deny it. You know, it's like, I don't know. I feel like you're disrespect. I felt like for most of my life, I disrespected my culture because I didn't embrace it. And now I feel like I reinvented myself and understood how important my culture is to the world, not just me, but to the world. Yes. And yes, so yes, yes. I would also tell all the first generation Latinos that I'm I'm not not speaking Spanish because I don't want to speak Spanish. It was just a part of the time I grew up in that it wasn't it was frowned upon in a bad way. And so our parents took it to the extreme. Right? And I don't blame yeah. them for it, right? Because everything I feel like everything that happens to you as a person, there's a reason for it. You might not know it now. But one day when, when we, you know, when we're in heaven, we're going to all laugh about it because we're going to be like, oh, that's why that happened. Right. That's why I was fighting all the time. That's why I was willing to take multiple beatings. That's why, you know, whatever. Et cetera. But yeah. Yeah. And so I would say everyone's <laughs> got to figure this out for themselves. It took me a while, but I'm not going back. You know, I'll tell you that I, I refuse, you know, so. Oh, mic drop. I <laughs> I love that you are representing this part of Latinidad because I think it's important to know whether you speak Spanish fluently and immigrated over here, born here, or second, third generation here, there, the Latino experience exists in all different phases of life and generations in life, and none of it takes away your Latinidad or gives you more Latinidad. It's all a part of who we are. But Tony, I want to I know we're running out of time. I want to close this out with the brindis because that's how I love wrapping up all of my episodes. So if you have your cafecito, I don't know if you do, or a water, you have water. Yeah, it's water. <laughs> I know it's a little late for you, right? It's like 11. 
11.30? Yeah, it's 11.30. Two hours behind? Yes, okay. Yes, I have my brother in Texas, so I know Texas hours. But I want to do a quick brindis, and I want to give you the space, Tony. What do you want to cheers to, and what do you want to manifest for our Latino community? So here's what, here's what I would want people to take away from Latinos. We're all from different places, meaning you're, some might be from Chile, some might be from Peru, some might be from Guatemala, some from Mexico. But ultimately, we all speak the same language and our cultures are so similar that if we could come together as a community, we'd have the next United States president for the next 100 years. But because we're divided, we can't figure that out. So let's get together and take yeah. over. Well, I don't want to say take over. <laughs> put a I Latino mean, in that office. wouldn't be bad. Put a, Lati- <laughs> put a Latino in office. Let's do it. We can Let's do it. Let's do it. Oh, you know, Antonio, this is the first time I've heard, I've heard this on the podcast. And this is exactly what I'm always manifesting. I'm like, can we just get a Latino president? Like at one point in life, that would be dope. But cheers to yeah. that. Muchísimas gracias. Cheers. Thank you, Tony Antonio, Antonio Tony Rodriguez. Thank you so much for being open, sharing your story, and just being a hundred thousand percent you in this space. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I appreciate you changing the world one podcast at a time because you are changing the world. <laughs> You're doing a great job. Thank you. Yes. Starts crying. Thank you. Thank you, Tony. I just want to remind every single Latino who, whether you're comfortable with Spanish, Portuguese, or mother tongue, or you don't speak it at all, no one, and I mean no one, can take those roots away from you. So own your Latinidad, step into it proudly, and know that we welcome you and you are part of this community a hundred thousand percent. So I'll see y'all next week for more Cafecito and Chisme. I hope you've been loving the episodes that's been coming out. And I hope you can hit me up and let me know what you want to see more of. For all Hello Latino updates, follow Hello Latino Podcast on Instagram. You can also follow me on my personal Instagram at ojasmine4as. And find me on LinkedIn. That's where I'm most popping, y'all. Check out my website, Olali Jasmine, for more information. Y con muchísimo amor, tu amiga hondureña.